Everybody, what is going on? It is your boy Crypto Bobby. I hope you are having a great day, great night, wherever you're watching or listening in from. And welcome to another episode, another edition of Crypto Happy Hour. I know it's been a while. Apologies for some of the delay. We'll obviously get into a lot of what's been going on for me, what's been going on for you, and a lot more. What is up, Michael? I hope you guys are having a good one so far. Can talk a little bit about what's happening with the market in general right now bitcoin down about five percent on the day ethereum down quite a bit all the other altcoins down basically across the board outside of etc so we have some things to cover today so it should be a pretty good conversation and then as always as always interacting hanging out answering as many questions as you guys might have and kind of hanging out in the comments here and uh what's up muhammad what's up handsome man and uh hope you guys are, are having a, a solid day so far giving everybody a second here to join in and uh want to turn it over today to real quick to the sponsor of this crypto happy hour today's episode is brought to you by my friends over at eToro they recently opened up shop in the us so as a lot of companies are leaving they're coming in to service the U.S. trader base. They actually have 10 million traders across the globe right now on eToro. And you can actually view the live portfolios of the top traders to see what they're trading, what they're doing, um, and engage directly with them, participate in their community. And you can view historical success, what percentage their returns have been, and what they've done over time, what they've traded, full transparency. Uh, it's really cool. And one of the awesome features that they have coming out in the near future is the copy trader uh, feature that they have where you can actually copy the trades of some of the top traders, uh, crypto traders in the industry. So definitely recommend checking out eToro. You go to the link below or cryptobobby.com slash eToro to check it out. So shout out again to eToro. Really appreciate their support of the show. And uh, yeah, as my man XRP Florida said, big XRP fan, as you guys all know of me, um, hit that like button, hit that uh, thumbs up button if you're just joining the show. And tonight I wasn't going to drink anything, but then I said, hey, why the hell not? It's Wednesday, even though it doesn't feel like it because the week's moving so damn fast. But I got myself a Montauk Summer Ale because I'm a big, for whatever reason, I'm a big Montauk beer fan. Literally half the clothes I own in my wardrobe are Montauk beer shirts. So that's just you know, whatever. And we'll get into, we'll hop into everything today. And obviously, guys, like I said, if you're just joining, make sure to start sounding off, asking those questions, and we'll dive into um, all of that as well. And if you are drinking something good, let me know what you are sipping on, whether it's beer, water, wine, coffee, apple juice. I don't really care. So we can kick things off today a little bit around the market movements and I think, you know, you have Bitcoin right now down about 6% against the USD in the past 24 hours, according to on-chain FX, which as always is my go-to on data. Ethereum is down in a pretty equivalent manner, down 6%. Um, XRP is actually up a little bit against Bitcoin, but uh, down against USD. Basically, everything is down against USD in the past 24 hours. So you might be thinking to yourself, you might be wondering, you know, what's what's happening right now? why is the market down is there anything in particular that's really driving this um you know driving this from a sentiment perspective driving this from a fundamental standpoint and at a high level i don't think there's anything like sentiment wise that's really driving kind of bitcoin lower i think if anything there's a lot of 
there's a lot of, of kind of negative, uh, there's a lot of, of things that are happening externally at a macro level that are a, a positive, potentially positive for, for Bitcoin as a whole. And we'll dive into a little bit around just your thoughts about kind of the investment stance on Bitcoin, because I do think that it is interesting at a high level. But a lot of things happening at a macro level, and you're looking at negative yields, $15 trillion or whatever it is in, in negative yield. Um, a lot of other kind of components that are happening with Trump, with just the global economy at large, the Federal Reserve tweets about the Federal Reserve today. A lot of crazy things that are going on right now with Trump, the U.S. economy, the global economy. It's things, things seem like they're at this kind of weird, eerie boiling point. You have every single person on the planet calling for a recession now. You have every person calling for a major economic pullback. So it leads to the point of if everybody expects something to happen, is it actually going to happen? Who knows? Um, but when I look at that and I kind of think about everything here, you have Bitcoin and a lot of people point to Bitcoin as this, you know, fantastic global macro hedge. You know, you have it. Uh, a couple people have, have called this uh, the schmuck insurance, I think. Uh, I forget. Uh, I think it was Chamath from, formerly of of. Facebook, if I remember, I, I'm not, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of his last name. So I'm not even going to try, uh, Chamath P, uh, <laughs> but you have Chamath who I think really coined the term previously about Bitcoin being schmuck insurance. And Mark Yusko said that recently as well from Morgan Creek digital. Bitcoin could very much be schmuck insur insurance, especially when you have the the things that are happening right now at that macro level, all the craziness that's happening. You have basically you know, the Federal Reserve treating you know this kind of just current environment with the same way that they did in 2008, 2009, which is a little little crazy. Um, and, and it would make sense logically for, for Bitcoin to be a, a really solid hedge because it doesn't have, you know, it's not affected at a high level, uh, the, the supply schedule and what happens with Bitcoin it does not is not affected by the Federal Reserve or you know, anything that happens with the EU or China or trade tensions, whatever it is, the supply, the supply schedule is the supply schedule. Um, so you have <laughs> you have that going on. And when you look at that, I think that you know, Bitcoin is that kind of logical. Bitcoin is potentially one of those logical hedges as quote unquote digital gold. But you also have to think of kind of what, what's the counter argument. If the economy is really falling to the shitter, if everything is collapsing, if the world is going to, to hell in a handbasket like everybody's calling for right now, um, if things are about to implode, are people really going to put their assets into what a lot of people still consider to be magic internet money and and that i think is the you know, big big question i do think that the macro environment is setting things up to to be really positive for bitcoin and negative for a lot of other things in the world negative for a lot of other assets i mean you can look across the board just at like the frothiness of the market and i think a lot of things in particular are pretty messed up so I, I do think Bitcoin is in a really interesting position. And we're also seeing, obviously, the divergence between Bitcoin and altcoins and how that pairs out, how that ends up panning out in the future, I think will be something that obviously is, is going to be a lot of, I'm sure a lot of you are going to be watching and keeping a close eye on. Uh, RC Phantom says a couple different things. So there's a couple interesting comments here. 
Uh, RC Fandom is drinking Miller Lite. I'm actually a Miller High Life guy myself over Miller Lite. You know, champagne of beers, all that jazz. Uh, you know, being in Brooklyn, for whatever reason, Miller High Life is like the go-to hipster beer, and I kind of love it. So um, that's Miller High Life is my jam. But uh, RC Fandom says, can't DCA anymore. My Coinbase says my bank doesn't allow purchases. WTF. Uh, that might be an individual bank thing. Uh, I would I would check that out. I would also check out Square uh, in the Cash app. I don't know what you're DCAing in. I don't know what your dollar cost averaging into, but I also hooked up uh, a Square Cash app account, and you can buy Bitcoin directly. You just have to manually set the reminders because I don't think there are recurring buys right now with Square. But if you want to do it manually, you can do that. It, it might be a, an issue with your bank and maybe not on Coinbase's end, probably not on Coinbase's end. I would say one complaint that I actually had um, and have with Coinbase, I don't know if anybody else has experienced this, and I'm, I'm typically a you know, really big Coinbase fan. Uh, I know a lot of people give them crap and have had bad experiences with them. For the most part, I've had nothing but good experiences with Coinbase. Um, so, I mean, knock on wood, that's that's kind of been my experience. But a few days ago, I think it was on, on Thursday or Friday of, of last week, or actually, you know, earlier, uh, but it was about seven days ago, I was going out of town and I wanted to top up some ETH into my CDP because the price of ETH is going down quite a bit and my liquidation price is like 50 bucks away. So I wanted to put some more ETH in there just to make sure that you know, I lower that that liquidation price as much as possible and, and everything's okay. And um, I go to withdraw the ETH from my Coinbase account and Coinbase, I guess I signed in and withdrew too quickly. So Coinbase just delayed the withdrawal for 72 hours and there was nothing I could do about it, which I found to be wildly, fr wildly frustrating. You know, somebody who has kind of all the authentication, all the verification, um, treats my account safely. Um, the fact that I withdrew, you know, went into my account and tried to withdraw money and they just said, Hey, no, you can't do this for 70 for three days. Like if my, what if my CDP went busto then like I would have been really pissed. Um, so that's, that's something that for me is, was a little bit frustrating. I don't know if anybody else had that experience, but I think it's something that hopefully Coinbase can improve on. I'm sure somebody had mentioned afterwards, I think it was uh, BTC Kyle or Kyle, if anybody follows him, but I think Kyle had mentioned that if you log in, to, if you log into your Coinbase account and like very quickly just withdraw money, they might time it out. And that, that was probably what happened. But like, I wasn't just going in to sit and stare at my Coinbase account. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to take my ETH and put in my CDP. And unfortunately they said, no, no boy, you can't do that. And so Gordy boy says, Bob, why is the correlation between Bitcoin and alts gone to shit? And we can, let's see if we can pull that up. So when market cap data is, is typically crap, as I'm sure many of you know, um, but one thing that is sometimes 69 nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Um, that's, that's my maturity level there for you folks. But uh, the Bitcoin dominance has really been on, has done nothing but move up since May of, of 2018. There was, there was obviously a massive altcoin bubble in 20, late 2017, early 2018 that brought the Bitcoin dominance all the way down to 33%. And then you had another kind of mini altcoin bubble uh, in March and even into a little bit into April, or actually it was into April of 2018. There was a nice little pop where a lot of money kind of cycled out of Bitcoin and into altcoins. 
Um, and since then, since that, since really the last day of April in 2018, you've had this kind of consistent, consistent, consistent bleed out in altcoins into to Bitcoin. And it, it's due, I think, to a number of reasons. Um, number one, I think a lot of people, a lot of people out there look at Bitcoin as the as something that is exactly what it says it is. And it's not trying to be anything else. And you have a, a, a growing number of firm believers in what Bitcoin is, as well as a growing number of or a growing amount of infrastructure around investing in Bitcoin um, and not necessarily as much in investing in other crypto assets. Bitcoin remains the most liquid by far. Bitcoin remains having from an investment perspective, the most uh, kind of investment options built out for it, especially from an institutional standpoint. And then also when you're looking at Bitcoin or, uh, you know, Bitcoin dominance increasing, you have the fact that many altcoins uh, out there were either outright scams or things that simply were, did not need a blockchain, did not need an ERC-20 token, did not need a token. And that kind of realization has slowly occurred over time. You know, if you're if you're looking at the vast majority of, of ICOs that occurred on Ethereum or on a variety of other platforms, you know, they might be companies that have great intentions. They might be building interesting technology. But the fact is, I don't think any teams have necessarily nailed, quote unquote, token economics um, well. Like there, there are minimal teams that really have have a strong incentive around token economics. And if you look at those teams, I think it is mostly geared towards centralized exchange tokens and coins because they are the only things that out there that kind of have a, a reason to own those assets for the most part. For most ERC-20 tokens, they're utility tokens, but nobody's actually using them for the, the intended purpose. You look at something like BNB, yes, you can certainly argue that Binance might, you might not like everything that Binance does, you might not like certain elements of their business, but the fact that they buy tokens back, the fact that they burn them when you, you know, use them for fees, there, there is a reason to buy BNB. There is a reason to hold BNB for a lot of different people. Um, and that actually affects supply and demand. Same thing, like, you know, a lot of people don't like Bitfinex, don't like Tether, whatever the stuff with Leo. Leo is also another thing where the buyback, the supply and demand of that asset to me is one of the only kind of clear other assets out there where it might make sense to 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 buy it from a speculative perspective yeah there's a lot of risk there associated with tether and the nyoag and a lot of other things there but um definitely something that i think is is kind of worth keeping in in mind so stefan mendoza shout out man what's going on uh, always good to talk to you uh so Two, two things, and then they're both actually on CoinDesk here. So this is something that I think is is sweet. So if you guys don't have Lolly yet, uh, I would recommend you go to just go to CryptoBobby.com slash Lolly, L-O-L-L-I. Um, that's my ref link, but helps me out, helps you out. Uh, if you want to just earn Bitcoin back, doing it with Lolly is the one of the easiest things to do. Um, so I would recommend... Uh, if you don't have Lolly yet, use it. It's super easy. It's just a Chrome extension. You don't have to pay for anything and you get Bitcoin back. Um, and now they have a new partnership with Postmates. They have a bunch of other ones that have come in. You buy groceries online with Safeway, Hotels.com, Walmart. Um, Lolly's really been crushing it with partnerships. Uh, Alex Edelman, who I had on the show before, 
super, super nice guy. Uh, they're executing really well. Like he's done this before. They're going to do it again. This is one of those business ideas, at least in my mind, that like so obvious, so, so smart of them to do. And they just are nailing it right now. So I hope they continue to crush it. But yeah, um, with Lolly, that's definitely a big partnership. And uh, I think it's it's pretty awesome. And it's, it's cool to see them continually roll out new, uh, you know, new news, new partnerships and have a product that you can use and quote unquote stack sats with uh, and do some really awesome things. And then on the other end of the spectrum too, so I tweeted about this a little bit today. Uh, somebody else mentioned it. Uh, let's see if I get... So if you guys don't have this one, it's kind of similar to Lolly. I've talked about this in a previous episode, but if uh, if you don't have pay, uh, go to getpay.com and uh, I have a code there. You get five bucks. If you use it, it's Bobby. Uh, so literally just type in the code Bobby when you sign up, but it's a free app in the app store and you just link your debit and credit card uh, to the app. And anytime you spend with one of their merchants, you get Bitcoin back. So you don't even have to do anything differently. You just have to link up your credit and debit card and they use Plaid, um, which is one of the most common. It's, it's They use Plaid, which is a multi-billion dollar banking API company. Um, like, super, super common, well-used. It's used by Betterment, Acorns, and a bunch of other companies out there. American Express, you can see here, Coinbase. So pretty legit as far as like the technology provider they use to connect to your bank. So um, people have had some questions about that. But yeah, I would check out Pay. Just go to getpay.com too, and then type in Bobby. And that's a great way to just earn yourself a little extra Bitcoin in addition to Lolly as well. And then... Yeah, going off, uh, going off of that, when uh, uh, Stefan says uh, Crypto Bobby will have reached Nirvana when Lolly adds the New York Jets. Well, I actually typically buy Jets tickets on StubHub, and they have StubHub, so we're good. I can, I can earn Bitcoin back buying Jets tickets now, which is pretty sweet. But going into the other question, so I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Uh, where's where's our man? So Square made a cool hire, uh, Matt Corallo. Uh, I talked about this yesterday, and then I also talked about this a little bit in uh, my line of work newsletter. If any of you guys don't read this, um, I'll, I'll post it in the chat here for you so you can take a look. Um, so I'll post it in the chat. So I actually write a news, well, it's a, it's a bi-weekly newsletter now. Apparently I can actually write English on, on paper too, in, in addition to talking and drinking beer. But uh, I write a little newsletter now about the things that are happening in the crypto space where, you know, that involve talent, hiring, um, you know, salaries, careers, that type of thing. So I call it line of work. Get it? Uh, I call the line of work. And I'll put in a, uh, yeah, put, put in that link there. So you can actually subscribe to it if you want it in your newsletter, or you can just read it on my website when it comes out. Uh, but there were a couple different things that I thought were pretty interesting this week from like a talent perspective. And... One of those things was indeed the hiring of of Matt Corallo at Square. And why I think that's cool is a couple different things. So if you're not familiar with, with Matt Corallo, he's on Twitter, I believe, at the Blue Matt. And I heard him speak at a, a lightning meetup a while ago. I really liked what he had to say. He just had like a super refreshing take on development and kind of the pace of Bitcoin and and what what his interests were. And it was like a very non-combative uh you just seemed like a really genuine, nice guy. And I, I kind of liked his approach to things. So I was really excited when I saw uh, he was hired by Square. 
and Chain Code Labs, which is his former employer, was was super complimentary of it as well. Seems like they had a pretty amicable parting, which is always great to see. Uh, but the reason I think this is cool too, because Square, if you're not familiar with Square, they're a multi-billion dollar company. They do over $3 billion in revenue a year. Um, a lot of that with their point of sale system, if you're in the US and you ever swipe your credit card at a coffee shop, whatever, Square probably powers a good amount of that now. So they have this massive business and then they have this tiny, tiny little piece of the pie that's Bitcoin related with a Square Cash app uh, that they've built where you know you have the Cash app and you can buy Bitcoin through the Square Cash app. People have started to do that more and more often. They like the service that they get. So they um, have a good time. Peace, Shooter McGavin. Thanks for joining in on Twitch, brother. Take it easy, man. Um, so they have this, they have the Square Cash app and why I think it's cool that they kind of have, uh, why their approach is interesting, why their approach is cool is because they have this massive business. They don't necessarily need to rush into things. They don't need to rush into adding a bunch of assets. They don't need to do anything that might compromise their morals or do anything for the sake of a profit or pleasing investors because their entire business is built on crypto or know get a ton of pressure when when things go bad with the market because they're basically insulated from the market because it's kind of a small arm of of square they can really be they can move slowly move intentionally play the long game which i think is a a, a different approach than most of the crypto companies because you have all these crypto companies that are in this like head-to-head -head competition they all have a lot of them have VC investors. I'm sure they're getting a ton of pressure from investors. Maybe they're trying to go public at some point in time, whatever it might be. It's a very competitive environment and they might do things that other people in the industry might not agree with. Maybe their own employees don't even agree with it, but they're, they're trying to just stay as competitive as possible. And Square can kind of let other people make mistakes while they move slowly and intentionally. And so in addition to that too, uh, one of the other cool things that um, I saw or that I thought in the newsletter and haven't really talked about on the channel at all yet, but uh, if you guys are familiar with Blockstack, so Blockstack is a, a, a platform that allows uh, app developers to, to build on top of it. Um, pretty interesting stuff. They also have their token approved by the SEC uh, to, or their token offering approved by the SEC for uh, unaccredited investors. So they spent a lot of money, worked with a lot of lawyers so that unaccredited investors could buy the stacks token. But outside of that, they had something that I thought was pretty interesting where they just partnered recently with Lambda School. So if you guys haven't seen Lambda School, their CEO is always all over Twitter. And Lambda School is a coding bootcamp. And instead of people paying for the bootcamp, instead of you having to pay money and, and travel to a place, you can... Um, participate in Lambda through an income share agreement, meaning they get a percentage of your future salary for a number of years um, based upon you getting a job in engineering after you finish the, the coding bootcamp. And the partnership is is cool and, and unique, I think, because there, it, it's mutually beneficial. It solves two problems. For, for Blockstack, they need developers to build applications on top of their, you know, on top of Blockstack. Uh, on the other end, Lambda School needs technology and something interesting for their students to kind of hack on and learn uh, while they're with the program. But I think it's really advantageous to Blockstack because you're getting people that are really early on in their programming 
you know, in their programming careers and their software development careers, and you're exposing them to you're exposing them to Blockstack and you're allowing them to build on top of you know on top of of the platform. And it's even pretty interesting too, because Blockstack has this like app mining rewards program where right now they give away two hundred thousand dollars a month to the top apps that are listed in their app store. And they're, I think, moving that up to like a million dollars. So if you are a student, you're developing in Lambda school and you build an app that all of a sudden rises to the top and you start making whatever it is, 10, 15, $20,000 a month, $5,000 a month, who knows, but making money in stacks tokens um, through that, you know, that might be something where, Hey, there, all of a sudden you have, you just have this feeder program. So I think it's a really interesting way for them to kind of kickstart the network and also get in early why they have these people doing this. Um, so yeah, I would definitely, you know, check out the newsletter. If you don't check it out, I put a link to it, uh, put a link to it in the comments. And then, yeah, you know, if you guys have any questions about proof of work as well, excuse me, proof of work, uh, line of work and (laughs) proof of talent, I'm, I'm getting all mixed up with my own company. But if you have any questions about proof of talent, I was happy to answer those too. But, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been super fun building. So Stefan Mendoza mentions what are your thoughts on coinbase acquiring zappo good and bad imo uh, in, in in stefan's opinion good and bad they're a somewhat trusted custodian so better business for them but also more centralization of the coins so we can see if we can pull that up for those of you who don't know who zappo is um they're if you've been in the industry, holy crap, it is pouring rain in New York right now. I just looked out my window and it's just, it's pouring. Um, and it wasn't a second ago, sorry. <laughs> but uh, for those of you who don't know Zappo, uh, they are one of the most, I would say like well-respected companies in the Bitcoin space. They are like the OG of Bitcoin custody. They have been around since 2013. Uh, Wences Casares, who was one of the most like well-known and earliest Bitcoin entrepreneurs or like earliest, like established legit or like real operator, not like 22 year old kid who had no idea what he was doing, but struck lightning because, because Bitcoin crushed it. I mean, once this Kassar, once this struck lightning with Bitcoin for sure, but he had struck lightning previously. He was a, you know, an entrepreneur um, who had success building other businesses. So Zappo super legit. Uh, let's see if we can actually pull up to so you can see here too, if we, we pull this up, the, the Swiss, the title of this, it's a quartz article from 2017, the secret Swiss mountain bunker where millionaires stash their Bitcoin. Um, and that was a, a Zappo Swiss vault. So literally in uh, an indoor vault in the middle of nowhere and like a former like nuclear silo was where uh, they kind of secured their Bitcoin. And the custody business that they had was actually acquired by Coinbase. So I believe it was about, they brought over, I don't remember exactly how many billion dollars it was, but uh, if I kind of read all the way through, um, let's see, about $5.3 billion uh, was, was being stored in Bitcoin with Zappo and Coinbase acquired that business for about 55 uh, Coinbase acquired that business for about $55 million. And it's, it's interesting for a couple different reasons. Coinbase has definitely started to, to grow their, uh, Coinbase has started to grow their custody business really heavily, but custody as a whole is kind of a business that's trending towards zero. 
And what I mean by that is that custody, the fees at least in custody um, are, are getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. It used to be rather expensive for wealthy individuals to, to store their Bitcoin. And now because of the competition, what do you do when you're competing against people? Um, you know, if you're, let's just say in the past, you're Coinbase against Zappo against Bitco. Maybe you all have pretty similar security methodologies. Maybe you, you know, have somewhat kind of equal processes and, and procedures. What lever do you have to win new customers? In many cases, that's the fee. And instead of making it, you know, 0.5% a year or something like that, you might make it 0.2% uh, 0 or 0.25% or 0.1%. And then you just kind of have this you know, race to zero where who can have the cheapest offering that can kind of stay in business with auxiliary products and things like that. And that's kind of where the custody business is going to. But you're also seeing that consolidation like Stefan mentioned, which isn't necessarily great because what happens if God forbid Coinbase custody somehow gets hacked. But at the same point in time, um, I don't want to say that I have like full faith in Coinbase to, to not get hacked, but... I would think that the amount of money that they keep in hot wallets is is so damn minimal. So I don't know. There's there's a, there's a number of things to think about here. Is what it is. Like you can't really change it. I think people are a little bit upset because Zappo is an OG of the business, and and there's a lot of of things that people don't like about Coinbase. So some people weren't happy, and and Bitco specifically had a marketing campaign around telling people, hey, you can move, you know, if you're a Zappo customer and you don't want to you know, do anything with Coinbase and you don't want to keep your money there, you can come on over to us and deposit your Bitcoin here and we'll we'll transfer for free and we'll do it for free for a little bit. So it's it's all in competition. It's all people aggressively you know, making moves in business, which is awesome. Reynaldo, what's going on? Thank you very much for that super chat, man. Five bucks. I super much appreciate that. I can buy buy myself another Montauk Summer Ale with this or at least out probably cost like 15 bucks. So we'll get there. Um, but, uh, Reynaldo says, what's up, Bobby? Hope you're great. Funny thing. I turned on my ETH miners yesterday morning, uh, and watch your ETH video in the afternoon stack sets. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you're, if you're mining ETH, you're kind of weighing way, unless you're converting that um, immediately to Bitcoin. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty positive about ETH in the long run. I know there's a lot of like super strong negativity and people getting pretty angry, but I still like both. I like Bitcoin. I like Ethereum. It is what it is. I know, I know, I know that's passe and you're not a lot, you have to like one or the other and you have to want to uh, beat somebody over the head who likes the, you know, likes the opposite, but I kind of like both. So that's, that's what I'm sticking with. And that's what I like. Uh, Freeman Young says this, what are your thoughts on BNB being included for Binance US? Um, <laughs> and then I'll get to Brian because he talked about, uh, because he talked about uh, Cryptopia and, and not knowing what's going on behind closed doors. So uh, Freeman says, what are your thoughts on BNB being included for Binance US? And we'll take a look here. See if we can get the, the picture of assets that were mentioned by good old CZ. There we are on wonderful Cointelegraph. So the tokens under consideration None of them are necessarily a, a massive, massive surprise here. <laughs> so you have things like you know, Bitcoin, which is on, obviously, I don't know why that's even under consideration. You're obviously going to include Bitcoin. Uh, you have Ethereum, 
I'm sure you're gonna include Ethereum. To me, this looks very similar to the Coinbase Pro list. So if you wanna pop over here, we'll take a look at Coinbase Pro. And we'll take a look at the markets. The market information, uh, there are a solid number of, of assets that are trading on that are trading on Coinbase Pro that are being considered by Binance, uh, Binance US specifically. When I look at this though, the question specifically was, what are your thoughts on BNB being included for Binance US? And I am personally uh, doubtful of that. I think that there are elements of BNB's token that Binance would be, to me, pretty uh pretty aggressive as far as as listing bnb in the united states it'll be interesting to watch but i would say i feel like 90 90 plus percent chance it is not listed in the united states because there are elements i feel like that make it a potential security and if they're opening up bnb in the u.s I don't think that they would be, or they're opening up Binance in the US. I don't think that they'd want to kick that off on the right foot or on the wrong foot with, you know, with BNB listed there and, and having a potential security um, or something that's as straightforward with the buyback that they have and with the just general exposure and kind of quasi security nature of, of the BNB token. I would be shocked if Binance lists BNB in the United States on day one, like opt really really shocked um so i don't know if that's something that you guys agree with what you think about but i mean i would love to hear it too in the comments so i you know I don't, I don't know what you're thinking there but i would be i would be pretty shocked about bnb being listed uh in the us uh also though i think that they they do binance does have a good team uh the new binance us ceo catherine cooley uh, is somebody who I think has a lot of respect in the crypto industry. I was actually meeting yesterday with somebody who runs a, who's been in the crypto industry for a long time, runs a, an exchange, a regulated exchange in the United States and was, was saying very positive things about Catherine, um, and her ability to execute. So, It'll be interesting to watch how Binance fares in the US. I think it's going to be it's going to be pretty fascinating to watch because you also have to think about you also have to think a little bit about liquidity. So a lot of people have have talked about the bifurcation of liquidity. Basically what that means is that you are going to have a one pool of liquidity on Binance traditional Binance, normal Binance, and you're going to have another pool of liquidity on uh, Binance US, meaning the order books for the same token pairs might not be the same. You might have a BTC to USDT or a BTC to uh, USDC, whatever, you, whatever, uh, a Bitcoin to stablecoin token pair. You might have that in or to the dollar, but you might have a Bitcoin to USDT token pair uh, in Binance US, and you might have the same thing in Binance, but the actual liquidity behind that is going to be different. The market makers there are probably going to be different because it presents regulatory issues if you're sharing liquidity from an offshore place to an onshore place. So that's also something to think about. I don't know how often that gets spoken about, but just because there's a ton of volume on Binance, you or on Binance.com, 
doesn't mean Binance.us or whatever it's going to be is going to have that same level of liquidity. So what happens if there's not a ton of liquidity there? We'll have to see. But if anybody can incentivize market makers to, to bring liquidity to the platform, I'm sure Binance is, is well capable of doing that and well capable of, of providing incentives in the structure in place. But another just thing to just generally keep in mind as, as you look at what's happening. So Chicago Crypto Hustler says that's weird because they have BNB at the ATMs in Chicago. I wonder how they're around getting around listing it for a purchase on a cryptocurrency ATMs. So I highly doubt that Binance has anything to do with the activities that are happening at a at cryptocurrency ATMs in Chicago. Um, that to me is something that Binance probably doesn't have necessarily any any specific control over. And some some Bitcoin ATMs and some crypto ATMs are, are pretty well regulated. Others are really like kind of fly by night operations, and it, it depends. So I, I I can't speak to the to the specifics of those those ATMs in Chicago, but I doubt that this this sale of BNB token on a crypto ATM in Chicago is an officially sanctioned thing by by Binance Corporate at all. And so Brian mentioned this previously when we were talking about Coinbase and Zappo and just my general, I think, confidence level in Coinbase um, from a security standpoint. And so Brian says, you really don't know what's going on behind closed doors. Uh, could be like Cryptopia. It could, it, it, it could, but it's not. Uh, <laughs> I'll just say that. Like, this, the sophistication, the talent behind Coinbase, whether or not you like Coinbase, the sophistication and the talent that is is behind Coinbase um, and working on their product is light years ahead of anything that was done at, at Cryptopia. Like literally light years ahead of, of what they've done. Uh, granted, everything is not perfect there. It's not, you know, everything is not fantastic. Um, but the amount of funding that they have, the sophistication, the talent, um, they're... They're, Coinbase is in a situation where they have a lot more resources at their disposal to better secure crypto assets than Cryptopia did um, and, and better kind of infrastructure built. So I would be vastly, vastly disappointed in Coinbase if they had any, if they were in the same ballpark, you're in the same, if they were 10 ballparks away from Cryptopia, I would be vastly disappointed. So expat ran, what's up, brother? Um, said hey bobby the sec is registered securitized as a transfer agent what does that mean for the space so securitize is is a you know interesting company i've had a chance to interact with them in the past uh when working at fluidity uh the team at securitize uh they're you know really solid folks uh carlos dominguez uh, carlos domingo the ceo and a, and a few other folks there uh, i also worked with uh city block capital who actually issued their uh issued their security token through Securitize. Uh, so it was one of their initial, you know, one of their initial customers. Securitize, I think, has like 43 customers, according to this. And they've helped companies raise $200 million to their platform. Uh, there are a number of things that happen behind the scenes when you transfer ownership of a security token. Uh, transfer a security token, at least in the United States, a quote-unquote, a real security token is a security. It is a regulated uh, it is a regulated asset, and you cannot just send those around willy-nilly uh, in a standard ERC-20 token from one person to another without restrictions. Otherwise, 
uh, somebody's going to be in trouble. And it's, it's probably either the issuer or uh, somebody behind the token. So there are a number of things that you need to do from a record keeping standpoint, from a centralization standpoint. Um, and one of those things is actually recording the transfer of the stock between individuals and kind of how that works. And uh, Securitize has gone through the process of, of being regulated to actually transfer those, those stocks. And initially they've started off with the issuance of, of securities, uh, but now they're getting a little bit more in depth and farther down the stack. So what does it mean for the space for you right now, unless you are an accredited investor, probably nothing, but it's good to see the continued advancement of the security token industry. It's still, for me, it's really far away. Like uh, security tokens, just Securitize is probably executing um, as well as anybody in the security token space, but it's still, I would say like a somewhat niche industry that um, most people that are watching this channel right now are not going to have a ton of exposure into. Uh, so Stefan mentions thoughts on, on backed saying initially they weren't going to allow margin trading. And then this week said they might uh, allow margin trading uh, big change in messaging with what their intentions were. To be honest, I really haven't kept up a ton of, uh, you know, with a ton of the backed updates. It's just been, there's there's a lot that have happened and there's there's a lot that's changed. So I really haven't kept up with all of it. So I can't speak too well to all the updates. It's just funny though, because I was, I was scrolling back in time into something and I came across, I think I came across an old tweet or just an old article about backed. And it was like, over a year ago and they were talking about launching uh you know they were talking about like launching in december i think it was of last year uh, or something funny like that so just kind of seeing where we are now of of looking for a, a september launch date you know it's definitely taking time and i think that's also what a lot of people underestimate in the space when you're doing things by the book and when you're doing things in a regulated manner it's going to take a lot of time to move things forward and most people don't like that most people are impatient but you know it is what it is Saul logging back in after one and a half years. Welcome back. Uh, I hope your most I hope most of your money was in Bitcoin uh, because if not, you might not have much money left. But uh, it was uh, it was great. It's it's great to see you after a year and a half. And uh, cheers. Welcome back. Uh, Maximilian Herb says, "Hey Bobby, what must happen that you turn into a Bitcoin maximalist?" Um, you know, I don't know. I for me, I. I think that there can be other, I think that the space is big enough that there will be other assets that fulfill different use cases outside of Bitcoin. To me, I am most confident in Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin has the clearest use case. I think Bitcoin has the clearest path forward. I think Bitcoin has the most adoption. So in that like sense, I would say I am, I have the strongest conviction and belief in Bitcoin. That said, I also think that there there could be the there could be an opportunity for other assets uh, or for other alternative not necessarily competitors against Bitcoin but for other use cases to get filled in the industry, whether that's something like Ethereum um, or some other platform. I I, I don't know. Uh, that's kind of where my money is. I think both Bitcoin and Ethereum can coexist. Might be really stupid of me. That that very possible. I think they can coexist and that that's kind of my, my thought process in general. I think they fulfill different use cases, but, um, you know, I, I look at this just to, in, in a lot of cases as like my, my speculative plays and, and the just kind of 
fun and fun investing for me. So, so <laughs> Davey mentions, uh, can you explain what BTC maximalism actually means? I think what Bitcoin maximalism actually means is different for every person. Uh, first of all, I think Bitcoin maximalism in general is is something that I think some people view as as a derogatory term. Um, where you know, with with Bitcoin maximalism, it was something that I think I want to say Vitalik initially lit, called it maximalism. Um, and so a lot of people point back to that and say, you know, this was something that the, the maximalist term was something that was created to justify the creation of another asset, in this case, Ethereum. Um, and obviously that the creation of Ethereum was was very profitable for anybody involved in that, specifically Vitalik. So a lot of people point, a lot of traditional Bitcoiners, let's, we'll, we'll remove maximalism from that. A lot of Bitcoiners point to the creation of uh, Ethereum and Vitalik kind of pointing the, the maximalism term as a derogatory thing. Now, some people have kind of taken hold of it and said, hey, you know what? It is what it is. People are starting to use this. We're not going to fight the term anymore. So we'll go there. For for me, what what do I think like Bitcoin maximalism is? I First of all, and I've said this yesterday, painting people with a broad brush is 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 a it's an effort in futility. It's, it's a waste of time for the most part. There are some people that have 100% of their money in Bitcoin. Uh, or at least 100% of the money in crypto assets in Bitcoin. They only believe in Bitcoin. They think it is going to be the you know the the path forward, and they are most confident in what Bitcoin does, and they have no interest in in holding or trading any other crypto assets ever. Um, then you have some people who are like a a kind of a, a vocal. There are certain people that are very vocal that are of that ilk, but in addition to you know only having interest in Bitcoin. They also think that every other crypto asset is a scam um, or you know is is bad and anybody who who disagrees with their thesis on Bitcoin um, is a you know bad person that must be silenced or whatever it might be. There are basically I think like when you think about Bitcoin maximalism, it's it's somebody who who is one hundred percent into Bitcoin um, and, and only likes Bitcoin. There are different flavors of of Bitcoin Bitcoiners. Um, some people are maybe a little bit like more extreme, um, in their views than others. It doesn't mean anybody's right or wrong, but like for me, I mean, that's, it, it is what it is. Like everybody's entitled to their own opinion. Um, doesn't mean it's right. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Some people are more outspoken than others. Some people have a, a larger platform to portray those views to. So they, it just kind of gets spread out. Um, I also think the third class of, of people, that are quote unquote maximalists. And this is the the worst to me, this is the worst class of, of maximalists is the the kind of the wrecked altcoin buyer and the person that hops from ship to ship to ship and you know they they bought altcoins and they got their faces ripped off and now they're now now they're now they're the Bitcoin heroes. And I I take some issue to that because I think there are some people out there that try to pretend like they never did what they did. And now they're, you know, now they're like, you know, I am, I'm in this Bitcoin maximalist camp and I'm safe and you can't hurt me here. Um, and then they're just the true OGs that have kind of always been into this stuff and, and have kind of been standing up for it. But like I, there are, there's definitely an element now of, of fake maximalism from some people. Cause I do think it is the cool thing to do. Like I think in 20, you know, 2017, um, 
I think in 2017, there was a time or like, I mean, previously, previously, but like 2017 was definitely a time where like Bitcoin maximalism was in the minority because you had to be very principled to not be making money on shitcoin pumps. Like altcoins were pumping through the roof. Crazy things were happening. People were making five, 10Xs on ICOs, making a ton of money. You basically had to have like really, really strong principles and saying, you know what? I don't agree with this stuff. I think these are illegal security offerings. I think they're a scam. I think people are going to, I think retail investors can get wrecked off this, whatever it is. Um, but certain Bitcoin investors were like, you know what? I don't agree with this stuff. I want to stay away from it. And I'm going to go through that and not, you know, I'm not going to touch it and I'm going to call this stuff out. And there were, there were a lot of vocal people that were vocal back then and they're still vocal now. And to them, I have every single bit of respect. Um, there are also, like I said, there are some people that, you know, played around and made money in, in, in altcoins and, and then like lost a little bit of money. And now, um, you know, now that altcoin investing or shitcoin investing isn't cool or the hot thing to do now, they're, you know, all Mr. You know, kind of Bitcoin maximalism. And, and those are, those are the types of like people that I, I have like less respect for personally. Um, but I think those are also the types of people that when, if, I guess it's a pretty big if now. It feels like a pretty big if. If there ever is a comeback of of alternative cryptocurrencies, um, they'd probably be right back in there um, trying to buy the top and then also getting wrecked again. So, uh, LaRue says something and says, Bitcoin maximalism equals you have a big bag of Bitcoin and you want it to ultimately be worth a lot more than you bought it at. I mean, I think that's every bag holder in the crypto space that it, it self describes every person that owns an asset in the crypto world. Um, it can be Bitcoin maximalism. That can be Ethereum. That could be XRP. That could be Ren. That could be Chainlink. That could be anything. It's anybody who's super, super vocal about their you know asset and they want to run around and, and you know, at some point in time, sell for more than they bought it for. So... <laughs> Uh, Reynaldo, thanks again for the super chat, man. Appreciate it. Um, if you guys have anything that absolutely must be answered, throw it in the super chat and I'll get to it. But uh, Reynaldo mentions, what are your thoughts on Raven lately? Uh, Ravencoin. I haven't looked into Ravencoin much recently. Uh, interestingly, as you bring that up, uh, it was on the, we see Binance considering uh, a, an asset for launch in the U.S., I personally wouldn't doubt if Raven is one of the ones that gets listed in the US. That wouldn't surprise me. Um, mostly because Raven had a pretty fair launch. I would consider Raven's launch to be fairly fair. Fairly fair. That makes no sense, right? But fairly fair. Because um, it wasn't like a pre-mine. It wasn't an ICO. It was a fair launch proof of work. Um, you know, proof of work crypto. But outside of that, like I don't. I don't really foresee anybody like for me, Ravencoin is competitive with Securitize and these type of guys. Like I, if you're looking at the security token industry, I would bet on Securitize over, over betting on Raven like 10 times out of 10, 11 times out of 10, a hundred times out of 10. I would bet on a company like Securitize that has centralized leadership and can get things approved and can can execute and can handle business development, um, I would bet on them having success in the security token space in the asset tokenization space over Ravencoin. That would be my take. So expat Ron said T0 just added Raven. 
I'm still so like I said, the security token industry is really far away from I think having like mainstream adoption. Like we're in the the absolute nascent stages of security tokens um kind of being publicly traded and and just being demanded for that. So, you know, you have right now things like open finance, which is a open finance network, which is a competitive, uh, a competitive applicant or excuse me, not applicant tracking system, alternative trading system, ATS. So in securities, you have to trade these things on ATS, uh, li licensed ATSs or alternative trading systems. And there are right now three different ones that are registered. You have open finance, T0 and shares post. None of them are really doing all that much as far as trading goes. Like the volume is paltry. Uh, pretty small. So we're like really, really in the early outset of things. And I don't know. I mean, we'll, we'll see how things pan out. But um, I mean, T0 adding Raven is like there's, I, let's see if we could find the T0 volume. Yeah, expat Ron says, you know, he's got, a, I guess, got a pretty penny on ATS for the long run. So patience pays. Yeah, it, this is definitely a game of patience in the security token space because like, you know, like Stefan was mentioning before, you have backed. Things are taking a really long time with backed, uh, but that's because it is a heavily regulated crypto exchange. So you have to think about that and you have to think about the length of time that it takes to get something approved by regulators. And that is even more so right now, or uh, you know, similarly so with these security token exchanges, because you are dealing with the SEC, you are dealing with securities, AKA the Securities Exchange Commission. So uh, Simon DV, I bet on Chainlink to make me rich. What do you think? Uh, I would say you should have bet on Chainlink a few months ago. Um, I don't know. I'm not like massively. It's a market cap of Chainlink right now. Where are we at? I mean, Chainlink is worth $775 million in liquid market cap, which is pretty outrageous. Does a ton of volume too on Binance, which is pretty crazy. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think I think Chainlink's already had its pump. I think if you're, if you're betting on Chainlink to make you rich, I think the move to bet on Chainlink was in a time frame before it already pulled a... You know, 500 to 1000 X when it did that over the course of a year. Um, I don't want to say you're buying the absolute top, but I also would say that there is a long way down to go. I do think oracles are starting to have a really, if you guys are paying attention or like really deep into the Ethereum ecosystem right now, oracles are having a uh, really interesting discussion, but I do think that other, see like compound finance. So compound finance released this the other day and they open sourced their, uh, Oracle, uh, which is a price feed. So if you guys aren't familiar with this too, like Chainlink is something that I'm sure a lot of people know just from the, the link token and have seen that, but like, what is an Oracle at a high level? Um, it's a feed from an external place outside of the blockchain. And that's the big thing that like Chainlink is trying to do and why I think, uh, you know, previously and, and looking at it in the past, um, Chainlink is, has made a lot of sense or really resonates with people outside of them having a massive 4chan army is with 
you know, with oracles, it's a very logical use case for the blockchain. For it's a very necessary and logical thing to incorporate into a blockchain ecosystem because you need um, you need that data feed into uh, the blockchain ecosystem. So, in the case of of Compound and in a lot of these other assets, you need a price feed, and the price feed comes from external places. But there are issues with oracles because things can be manipulated. Uh, things can be kind of affected in negative ways. And especially with a growing DeFi space uh, that I've talked about in the past and kind of had conversations on, but with the DeFi space growing as it is, th there are, and there have been these like Oracle attacks that have happened where um, people have manipulated the price of, basically manipulating the price feed um, to affect the application. So it's something that I think is, Oracles themselves are going to be a really big topic of discussion as the quote unquote DeFi space continues to mature and other products and, and platforms start to utilize, whether it's price feeds or different types of data feeds externally uh, into their ecosystem, you're going to start to see that happen more and more often. The thing that I think you want to watch is whether or not Chainlink is what these people use, or if it's just some type of open source tool through something like compound finance built or MakerDAO builds or whatever. Uh, Kevin from uh, VT says, I think alts with no working product will die off soon. I think that's an accurate assumption. I also do think, so the, the crypto world is interesting because there's almost a perverse incentive. I mean, there, there are many perverse incentives when you look at ICOs. So there, there are a lot of issues with ICOs in general. You basically have all this funding up front before you actually build anything. So what's you give somebody funding up front, like let's say you give somebody $15 million in an ICO, give them 15 million bucks and they have this white paper and they say, hey, we're gonna go build this. What's their incentive to actually build that once they get that money? Well, the incentives are misaligned. They already have the money. So what's the incentive? Mostly the incentive at that point in time is number one, just earnestness um, and actually wanting to deliver something, which most people do. Like I think in, in the crypto space, there there is a sense of of most I don't a good amount of people are good actors and they are acting in good faith, um, but they participate in a system with misaligned incentives. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, though, when you look at delivering a product, you've kind of seen it happen over and over and over again. But when you actually deliver a product, or when there is no product delivered, like let's say, okay, so you go through the process and you have $15 million, you raise an ICO. And I mean, this is mostly like past stuff. There aren't that many ICOs being raised anymore. But like, let's, let's say just reviewing things from the past, you got 15 million bucks, you raise an ICO, you have a white paper. Now you have all these investors, quote unquote investors, they're not actually investors. Um, they're people that should be using the token for its intended purpose, but they're not actually using the token for its intended purpose. They're speculating on the asset. They're speculating on your ability to actually create something. So you invested in this thing, you put your money into it, your ETH into it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go make money. Um, or, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to hold this token and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to be really, you know, interested and curious and watch them to you know, develop this thing. And as you sit there and you watch, you know, you watch people develop it and you hear these different, uh, you know, updates, you get excited. Um, typically like that's the period where, where things go well for the most part. I mean, external market conditions, removing external market conditions from it 
you have people getting excited about it. They're excited about a product release. They think something good is coming. And then when the product actually gets released, they realize, hey, either I'm never going to use this thing or maybe nobody's actually using this thing. Maybe there's no need for it. There are a billion things that people realize, but for the most part, what happens when people actually deliver products in the crypto space is it's kind of crickets on users and the the good actors that actually were well-intentioned and wanted to build something and execute and delivered on something, you know, built something cool, built something great, but either nobody's using it or people are using it, but the token that they created didn't have the right incentive structures in place to actually maintain the value at the at the at the best case maintain the value of the token at the worst case it you know it drops off the face of the earth so hence why proof of buffalo chicken wrap coin is a go absolutely it is a i no joke i had a buffalo chicken uh wrap for lunch um yeah. uh so cryptophasia says ico is superior to crowdfunding because at least investors can sell if they no longer like the project uh, that is a I guess that, you know, that is an interesting point about liquidity. Um, for the most part, you always have options. I wouldn't say for the most part. Um, initially in like 2017, there was almost instant liquidity on a lot of projects. Whereas, you know, you invested in an ICO, you put your money in an ICO, and you probably got that within a few weeks, like at the max. There were times where, you know, you had things like like Sparkster or whatever it was, where, you know, you somebody put money in, into a token, and they you know, waited months and months and months for that token. And by the time that token came out, the market had completely changed and nobody had any confidence in ICOs anymore. And nobody had any confidence in like Sparkster to execute. And that token was down 90% the second that thing listed. And then investors were screwed. Like you couldn't even do anything. That thing was just dead and there was no liquidity. It didn't get listed anywhere. Like there was a time where yes, there was liquidity for these tokens, but in some cases there were definitely a lot. There were there were a good number of tokens where um, people raised money and then they um, you know never provided an avenue for liquidity. And liquidity is king. And that's also why Bitcoin is is still king to this day because liquidity is king. And if you can move in and out of positions with relative ease and low slippage, you're going to be fine. But if you are in a the an altcoin at the 700 position on market cap that raised $30 million in an ICO and now trades at you know $500,000 market cap and only trades on IDEX for $75 a day. You know, your investments shit out of luck at this point in time, unfortunately. Uh, Hunter Layton. Hey, Bobby, longtime listener, big fan. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Uh, do you see XRP sitting at its lowest? It's been in two years. Uh, I think it could go lower um, unless... To me, unless Ripple stops selling XRP, um, or yeah, basically un until Ripple stops selling a couple hundred million dollars of XRP a quarter, uh, I, I don't think the XRP market is is going many places. That's just my personal opinion. So Expat Run says this, uh, when do you think tokens with actual use case and approved by regulators Will be valued appropriately so I, I have no idea about approved by regulators because i don't know what tokens are trying to be approved by regulators or what regulators but let's just say this when will they be valued appropriately well that's the first question how do you value a token how do you value any of these assets there is no clear specific way to really value any of these assets outside of honestly maybe some of the exchange tokens like there are some ways where you can maybe more clearly run uh 
analysis on Binance uh, in the BNB token due to volume or projected volume and their revenue and how much they're going to burn. You can do something similar with Bitfinex and Leo. You can do something similar with some of the other, uh, you know, some of the other, excuse me, uh, some of the other exchange tokens out there. But for an ERC-20 token or for a, even for Bitcoin, how do you accurately value Bitcoin as an asset? Do you use on-chain data? Do you use, I, like, there, there is no clear specific way that somebody can look to and say, okay, this is really how much Bitcoin should be valued at. Look at Ethereum, look at XRP, look at basically everything out there. There isn't necessarily a specific way that somebody can, that, that people have come together and say, this is what we're looking at from a valuation perspective. This is overvalued, this is undervalued. It's also why technical analysis in the crypto space is still like a relevant thing because most people don't know how to value these assets otherwise. So when you don't have clear guidance from certain respects, you can look at a chart and maybe more accurately predict things. Uh, Morel, how is proof of talent going, Bobby? Uh, proof of talent's going really well. Um, if you guys don't know, uh, I launched a recruiting firm in the blockchain industry. Um, so I, right now, I work with eight different companies uh, in the crypto space, actually nine. Um, as of today, nine companies in the crypto space, uh, about seven of them in New York and, and a few in San Francisco and Boston. Um, so I work with companies that are trying to hire people for their, you know, for open opportunities, for open roles, and try to match talent that is looking with uh, people in the space. So I'm basically a headhunter is kind of what I am. And I have a, a few people that I work with as well. Um, so if you are ever looking for, so yeah, right now I have eight different clients in the crypto space. Uh, these companies have like 140 plus million dollars in funding. Most of them are VC backed, uh, seed level, series A, all the way up to um, a little bit higher than that as well. Uh, have at this point in time, over 15 positions that I'm working on. So if you are interested in working full-time in the crypto industry, uh, you go over to proofoftalent.co. It's not .com, it's .co. But if you click on the careers page and you can submit your resume, I need to update some of the positions here as well. But if you click submit your resume here, um, I'll take a look and see if I have anything available. And if you have anybody, especially software engineers that are looking I have a ton of opportunities for software engineers throughout the US. And then if you're watching this now and by any trance, you are a big time, like uh, big time quantitative researcher, have a lot of experience in, uh, basically have, have prior Wall Street trading experience, have a lot of knowledge around uh, just Wall Street trading in general and then the crypto space. Uh, I'm working with a company that is one of the coolest companies in New York operating crypto, they build crypto trading software, and they are hiring for a head of data and research, somebody to build something similar to like a BitMEX research or a circle research uh, for their clients, as well as just for like external marketing. So have some awesome opportunities right now. It's been it's been a ton of fun. And I think one of the like one of the cooler parts to me, at least about like recruiting has a bunch of different connotations and things like that. But one of the coolest parts about me is that I get a really good like behind the scenes view of things now. Like I get to hear about what companies are doing well, what companies are hiring a lot. I also get to hear about some of the companies that are having difficulties behind the scenes that people might not know about. Um, and some of the companies that, you know, aren't having as much traction and, and people are kind of starting to, to leave out of as well. So 
that type of thing is is fun for me just to have kind of a, a different view of the industry than I pre previously had. So yeah, it's, it's proof of talent has been great. So if you are by any chance looking for a job in crypto, uh, reach out to me uh, at any point in time. My Twitter DMs are open. My email's open, whatever you need. Um, I get a lot of outreach, but uh, we'll definitely try to, to you know, get to it as, as quickly as possible. Um, and definitely appreciate all the people that there's a lot of people I've seen in the chat that I've had, had a chance to talk to um, and, and help out a little bit, hopefully. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been going very well so far. Yeah, proper call. You could shoot it over, man. Uh, crypto bull coins. Can you sign up as a gem hunter? I don't have any opportunities right now for a crypto gem hunter. Um, there might be a few telegram groups that are hiring for that, but as far as venture back startups, I, I don't know if we have any opportunities there. I can look into it though for you. Uh, a couple of different people asked, are we headed for a recession? Um, I mean, I talked about it a little bit in the beginning of the, the video, everybody. So the thing about right now, it's everybody, all, all signs point to bad things. Like it seems like everything, everything points to, to negativity, um, in the, everything seems to be pointing to, to negativity in the crypto space or not in the crypto space, excuse me, negativity in just the global markets from a macro standpoint. Um, a lot of things that don't look too hot, but you have every single person on the planet calling for a recession at this point in time or, or damn near close to it. If everybody's doing it, like if everybody's saying it is, is that actually going to come true? Or is this just so blatantly obvious that it's going to be negative? Um, so yeah, something I think, I, I mean, if I, if I knew if we had, if we're going to have a recession, I'd probably be doing something different, but I, I mean, for me, like my retirement accounts and all that type of stuff, I'm just chilling. I mean, I'm not retiring for 30 years, so I'm not too worried about it. And guys, at this point in time, I am, uh, I'm about to relax, get myself some dinner. Um, I appreciate y'all hanging out with me for the past hour or so. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to hit that thumbs up button. If you're listening on the podcast later, thank you as well. And if you are new to the channel by any chance on the planet, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Thank you guys so much for your time. Thanks again to today's sponsor on the video, eToro. Check out eToro, cryptobobby.com slash eToro. Uh, but I hope you all have a good one. Take it easy. Peace.